Hello, knowledge seekers. In this episode of 20 Minute Books, we delve into The Year of Magical Thinking by Joan Didion, a heart-rending memoir that serves as a profound exploration of sorrow, memory, and resilience in the wake of unimaginable loss. Joan Didion, an eminent American writer known for her versatile contributions to literature, journalism, and screenwriting, navigates through the turbulent waters of grief following the sudden demise of her husband, John Gregory Dunn, alongside the critical illness of their only daughter, Quintana. The Year of Magical Thinking is more than a personal narrative. It is an introspective journey that examines the human psyche's delicate mechanisms in the face of mortality. Didion's inquisitive prose invites readers to reflect on the impermanence of life and the inevitability of death, all while offering a raw, unvarnished look into her own coping mechanisms during this tumultuous period. Didion, whose portfolio includes impactful works like Slouching Towards Bethlehem and Play It As It Lays, recognized by Time magazine as one of the 100 best English-language novels from 1923 to 2005, brings her keen observer's eye and narrative precision to the deeply personal subject of grief, making The Year of Magical Thinking an essential read for anyone who has ever experienced the pain of loss or faced the shadows of mourning. Whether you've grappled with the illness or death of a loved one, or simply wish to understand the multifaceted nature of grief, this book offers solace, understanding, and a compassionate insight into the reality of enduring loss. Join us as we uncover the layers of Joan Didion's transformative year of magical thinking and find kinship and wisdom in the universality of sorrow and the eventual path towards acceptance. The Year of Magical Thinking Lessons of Loss. Introduction. Navigating through the storm, unveiling lessons from a year of grief and love. Imagine defining yourself, not just by your career, hobbies, or passions, but by the intricate web of relationships that shape your very essence. These relationships, ranging from friends to foes and mentors to mentees, color our lives with their vibrant stories. Yet, among these connections, It's the bonds we share with our closest loved ones, spouses, children, that embed themselves deeply into our identity. These are the ties that, when severed or threatened, can unravel the fabric of our being, leaving us to pick up the scattered pieces. Joan Didion, a renowned writer, found herself trapped in a malin of sorrow and loss that tested the limits of her resilience and understanding of love. Between 2003 and 2004, Didion faced the harrowing ordeal of losing her husband, John Gregory Dunn, and grappling with her daughter Quintana Roo's severe illness. This period of profound grief and reflection was painstakingly documented in her memoir, The Year of Magical Thinking. It's important to note that, tragically, shortly before this memoir was published, Joan's daughter passed away. In an act of dedication to preserving the raw authenticity of her experiences during that year, Didion chose not to incorporate this event into the memoir, instead addressing her daughter's death in a subsequent memoir, Blue Nights, published in 2011. In this narrative, you'll embark on a journey through Didion's eyes, 
exploring how an unexpected tragedy swept her off her feet, the tumultuous process of coming to terms with her loss, and the invaluable insights she gained from these excruciating experiences. Her story imparts lessons that resonate with the fragility of life, the strength found in vulnerability, and the transformative power of grief. Through the year of magical thinking, Didion provides a lens into the soul-shaking impact of losing those we treasure most, and how, even in the deepest despair, there are lessons to be learned and a path towards healing. Part 1. A Night of Unforeseen Tragedy from ordinary to unimaginable. On the surface, it was just another evening in the home of Joan Didion and her husband, John Gregory Dunn, nestled in Manhattan's Upper East Side. Yet, beneath the facade of normalcy, the night of December 30, 2003, was anything but ordinary for the couple. They had just returned from a visit to the intensive care unit at Beth Israel Medical Center, where their daughter, Quintana, was fighting for her life. The events leading up to this night were a stark reminder of how swiftly health and happiness can be snatched away. Just days earlier, on Christmas morning, Quintana was rushed to the emergency room, initially suspected of having a severe flu. The diagnosis quickly escalated to pneumonia and septic shock, plummeting her survival chances to a precarious 56 to 69 percent. Despite recently celebrating the joy of her wedding, Quintana now lay comatose, her life hanging by a thread, dependent on a myriad of machines and potent antibiotics. Surrounded by the specter of their daughter's looming mortality, Joan and John tried to find solace in the comfort of their dinner routine. The evening mirrored countless others in their nearly four-decade-long marriage. A fire danced in the fireplace, a meal was prepared, and drinks were poured, as both attempted to navigate through their conversation and thoughts clouded by worry and fear. It was during this fleeting moment of attempted normalcy that their world was irrevocably upended. Mid-sentence, discussing either the nuances of the scotch he was enjoying or pondering over the historical intricacies of World War I, John's voice faltered, his body slumped forward. A perplexed Joan, momentarily thinking this was a jest, implored him not to play such games. But the silence that followed was bone-chillingly real. John was not jesting. In a devastating twist of fate, he had suffered a fatal cardiac arrest, slumped at their dinner table. The night that had started under such dire yet hopeful circumstances, with concerns centered on their daughter's fragile health, had cascaded into an abyss of grief. From an evening of routine to a life-altering tragedy, Joan found herself thrust into a surreal reality of loss signaling the beginning of her year of magical thinking. This was a night when the ordinary turned into the unimaginable, forever altering the course of Joe and Didion's life. Part 2. Unraveling the Night. Piecing together a tapestry of loss. In the immediate aftermath of her husband John's sudden cardiac arrest, Joan Didion was engulfed in a haze of shock and disorientation. The details of what transpired in the frantic hours that followed were initially obscured, leaving her grappling with a void filled with more questions than answers. However, as time marched on, Joan embarked on a meticulous quest to piece together the puzzle of that fateful evening's events. 
Leveraging her keen investigative skills honed from years as a celebrated journalist, Joan diligently sought out primary documents and records that could shed light on the precise sequence of happenings. Her efforts led her to a variety of sources, including hospital reports and the meticulous entry log maintained by the doorman of her apartment building. It was through these documents that she began to construct a coherent timeline, filling the gaps left by her shock-stricken memory. The documents revealed a detailed chronology. At 9.20 p.m., paramedics swarmed into their apartment, transforming the familiar setting of their living room into a makeshift emergency room, bustling with the urgent efforts to revive John. Despite the paramedics' valiant attempts with defibrillators and electrocardiogram monitoring, John could not be resuscitated. By 10.05 p.m., John was being transported to the Cornell branch of New York Presbyterian Hospital, with Joan trailing in a separate ambulance. Within minutes of arrival, despite the flurry of activity and medical intervention, John was pronounced dead at 10.18 p.m., meeting the end of his journey at the age of 71. During this whirlwind of medical urgency, Joan found herself isolated from the immediate reality of her husband's condition preoccupied with hospital admission formalities. Engrossed in paperwork, she was oblivious to the grim truth being unfolded in parallel. It wasn't until she was quietly led aside by a social worker that the devastating news was imparted to her. John had passed away. Reflecting upon these events and having navigated the bureaucratic facade of hospital procedures, Joan later postulated that John's fate was sealed before she had even begun to process the hospital paperwork. Her suspicions were confirmed almost a year later upon reviewing the emergency department physician's record. Among the clinical notes, a stark notation caught her eye. DOA. John had been dead on arrival, a reality that had remained veiled from Joan until she embarked on her own journey to uncover the truth. Through her investigative endeavor, Joan not only confronted the harrowing details of that night, but also scrutinized the processes of memory, grief, and the avenues we seek to make sense of the incomprehensible. This pursuit of understanding offered her a route to navigate through her grief, piecing together a tapestry etched with loss, love, and the relentless quest for closure. Part 3. Seeking Control in the Midst of Chaos Joan's quest for agency. In the surreal moments following her husband's sudden cardiac episode, Joan Didion faced the extraordinary and grim task of completing hospital admittance forms for John, despite his already being beyond the help of medical intervention. This heart-wrenching scenario, blending the bureaucratic with the tragic, lent an almost Kafkaesque absurdity to her grief. Yet, in this act, Joan found an unexpected source of comfort and a semblance of control amid the chaos swirling around her. The act of filling out forms, typically mundane and tedious, morphed into a lifeline for Joan. It provided a temporary reprieve from the crushing reality of passivity that often accompanies the role of a witness to medical emergencies. Engaging in this task, Joan was thrust into a position where her actions felt meaningful, where she believed she could influence the tide of events unfurling before her. The paperwork suggested a path forward, a beacon of hope that John's condition was still reversible, 
that his story hadn't reached its conclusion. Hope, as it so often does, hinged on the possibilities that lay ahead. John's admittance into the hospital symbolised an ongoing battle, a narrative still being written where the final chapter could still be swayed by timely, efficient medical intervention. Joan wasn't equipped to provide this care herself, but she wielded the power to shape its delivery, guiding the hands that would fight for John's survival. Even in those initial moments of crisis, as paramedics transformed their living room into an emergency care station, Joan's mind raced with proactive thoughts. When she suggested John might have choked, it was a tangible contribution, an action that could potentially pivot the outcome. This mindset persisted as she navigated the labyrinth of hospital corridors and protocols. She contemplated leveraging her connections and familiarity with the medical staff at the Columbia branch of New York Presbyterian Hospital, thinking it might offer superior care or at least a setting where she could exert more influence over the treatment of both John and Quintana. This strategy, while born from desperation and a profound desire to regain control, painted a picture of Joan not as a mere bystander, but as a determined advocate for her family's welfare. She was ready to mobilize her resources, to navigate the complexities of medical bureaucracies for the sake of her loved ones. However, this brief illusion of influence was shattered when a social worker gently steered her away from the realm of action and decision-making into the stark reality of loss. The plans for transfers, the envisioned scenarios of recovery under the care of familiar doctors, all evaporated in the face of the immutable truth that John's battle was already over. In this moment, Joan's quest for agency met its limits, underscoring the profound helplessness that can accompany even the most determined efforts to steer fate's course. Part 4. A Tapestry of Memories and Painful Reunions In the whirlwind of grief that enveloped Joan Didion following her husband John's sudden death, another storm was silently brewing across town. Her daughter, Quintana, lay in a different hospital, locked in a fierce battle against pneumonia and sepsis, unconscious and unaware of the tragedy that had struck her family. This dual-fold crisis encapsulated Joan in a maelstrom of fear, hope, and mourning, balancing on the knife edge between despair and the desperate desire for Quintana's recovery. When Quintana finally emerged from the fog of sedation and began to breathe without the assistance of tubes two weeks later, the moment was bittersweet. Under normal circumstances, Quintana's awakening would have been a beacon of pure joy, but the shadow of John's death loomed heavily, darkening the bright glimmer of hope. Joan was now faced with the heart-rending task of bridging Quintana back to a reality altered by profound loss. Quintana's first question upon seeing her mother, where's dad, pierced through the semblance of normalcy and forced Joan to confront the painful duty of breaking the news of John's death not once, but three times before it truly registered with Quintana. The saga of illness and recovery continued for Quintana, with her hospitalization for a pulmonary embolism following her discharge, adding another layer of complexity and distress to an already fraught period. Amid these health scares, plans for John's funeral had to be postponed, further extending the limbo between death and the eventual process of communal mourning. 
When the funeral was finally held at St. John the Divine, the same cathedral that had celebrated Quintana's marriage just months before, the event stitched together moments of joy and sorrow, binding them in a poignant tapestry of life's cruel juxtapositions. Remarkably, St. John the Divine held yet another layer of significance in Joan's life, connecting to a past professional endeavor and personal memories. The cathedral had been unwittingly woven into the fabric of Joan and John's life decades earlier, during a period of marital strain that saw them seeking refuge and reconciliation in Honolulu. There, amidst the beauty and isolation, Joan penned her first column for Life magazine, a candid reflection on their attempt to salvage their marriage. The same cathedral manifested in their work once more, as the backdrop to a climactic scene in a film script they were revising, where terrorists threatened with a plutonium device, a fictional event that nevertheless rooted itself in Joan's psyche, intertwining with her memories. These intricate web of associations, juxtaposing professional milestones, personal memories, and the harrowing events of loss and recovery, highlight the complex layers of Joan's story. Each memory, each location holds multiple meanings, serving as landmarks in the vast landscape of her life's journey through love, loss, and the painstaking process of making sense of it all. As we delve deeper into Joan's thematic exploration of her experiences, these associations provide a framework for understanding the depths of her reflections and the universal truths they uncover. Part 5. Within the weave of shared moments, mourning the loss of a life. Partner. Life has a curious way of weaving intricate patterns through our experiences, connecting moments, places, and emotions into a rich tapestry that encompasses the essence of our beings. This was something Joan Didion discovered in the wake of her husband John Gregory Dunn's death, a profound realization of how deeply intertwined their lives had been, not just in the physical space, but in the realm of shared memories, habits, and unspoken understandings. As Joan delved into the network of connections that made up her life story with John, from shared Christmases and milestones at St. John the Divine, to the pivotal moments in Honolulu, and the deeply personal experiences surrounding their daughter Quintana's life and challenges, she uncovered a complex web of invisible threads. These threads were not merely coincidences or factual links between events, but the very substance of a shared life that spanned nearly four decades. Losing John meant more than losing a companion. It meant losing a part of herself that was intimately tied to their shared daily rituals, conversations, and the comforting presence of one another. Their life together was marked by a unique symbiosis. Both writers, they worked at home, weaving their individual creativity into a shared fabric of existence. Even when physical distance temporarily separated them, the bond remained unbroken, fortified by frequent phone calls that bridged any gap with ease. One anecdote Joan recounts highlights this profound connection. A simple observation about the changing seasons in Central Park and her instinctive desire to share this with John, only to be confronted by the stark realization of his absence. Such moments underscore the depth of their partnership. It was a relationship where even the subtle shifts in nature prompted shared reflection. Yet, John's passing left a void that could not be filled, transforming everyday sights and rituals into poignant reminders of loss. 
Jones' recounting of how John would hold her hand during airplane landings speaks to the myriad small gestures that become imbued with significance over years of companionship. Now, in the silence of his absence, those gestures turn into echoes of a past that can no longer be experienced, leaving behind a profound sense of grief. Jones' journey through mourning is a testament to the enduring impact of a life shared and the pain that accompanies its dissolution. It is a narrative that transcends the individual, touching on universal themes of love, loss, and the indelible marks they leave on our souls. Through the fabric of memories and habits that formed the backdrop of her marriage, Joan navigates the tumultuous waters of grief, seeking solace in the beauty of what was and the harsh reality of what now is. Part 6. The Inescapable Snares of Grief's Vortex In the shadow of profound loss, Joan Didion experienced the relentless tug of memory, a force so strong it often felt like being pulled into an emotional whirlpool. This phenomenon, which she would later define as the vortex effect, showcases the complex interplay between grief and memory, where seemingly innocuous moments can suddenly trigger a deluge of recollections, each leading inexorably to the pain of loss. Joan's attempts to navigate her daily life in the aftermath of John's passing were consistently disrupted by these vortexes. A simple drive past a familiar location, a glance at a theater they had visited together, each was a portal to the past, a catalyst for a chain reaction of memories that spiraled towards sorrow. Aware of this pattern, Joan endeavored to steer clear of places saturated with memories of John, trying to latch onto good lines of thinking that wouldn't inadvertently lead her back to her grief. Yet grief, with its insidious tendrils, seemed to find its way into even the most guarded corners of her mind, rendering such attempts futile. A poignant example of the vortex effect at work occurred during a visit to the hospital where her daughter, Quintana, was being treated. There, a remnant of rose-patterned wallpaper likely a holdover from the building's days as doctor's hospital in the 1960s caught her eye. Initially, this observation sparked a harmless journey down memory lane to her days at Vogue magazine, a time before John entered her life. This path seemed safe, distant from the direct link to her present grief. However, the memory landscape is treacherously interconnected. Reflecting on the past led Joan to recall a story from Vogue about a sex worker's abortion at Doctor's Hospital, which in turn reminded her of her second novel, Play It As It Lays, a project that closely followed this period of her life. Tracing these connections, Joan found herself on the precipice of a vortex as her mind jumped to her inaugural column for Life magazine. Penned in Honolulu during a critical, marriage-saving trip with John, the transition from a neutral memory of wallpaper to the raw pain associated with efforts to save a marriage highlights the unpredictable and unavoidable nature of grief's vortexes. These episodes starkly illustrate the challenge Joan faced in mourning, the impossibility of circumventing reminders of John, as her world was so thoroughly intertwined with their shared experiences. Navigating grief for Joan meant constantly confronting these vortexes, each time re-experiencing the absence of her life partner and the enduring impact of their intertwined lives unraveling in her mind. Part 7. Traversing the What-Ifs, Joan's Journey Through Grief 
and magical thinking. In the shadow of loss, the mind often wanders into territories of what if, searching for scenarios where fate could have been rerouted, where the final outcomes might have veered away from tragedy. And so it was for Joan Didion, as she revisited a crucial juncture in her life with John, sparked by a memory tied to her first column for Life magazine, written from the sands of Honolulu, rather than the turmoil of Saigon during the Vietnam War. This reflection brought her face to face with the stark contrasts between the life lived and the one that could have been. Feeling sidelined in a career opportunity by gender biases, relegated to a personal column while her male counterparts were dispatched to the front lines, Joan grappled with frustration and humiliation. John, even then, had expressed his reservations about the magazine's offer, sensing the limitations and disappointments it might entail. The memory of disregarding his advice became a focal point for Joan's grief, underscoring a moment when their combined life course could have shifted dramatically had she chosen differently. Joan's introspection reveals how deeply grief can entangle with self-reflection and guilt, especially when one entertains the notion that certain decisions might have unknowingly paved the way to loss. This line of thought is characterized by an unrealistic but deeply felt sense of responsibility for events that are, in reality, far beyond one's control. The imagination runs wild with alternatives, with pathways untaken that whisper the possibility of a different present, one where John might still be beside her. This mental journey into the realm of what if represents the essence of magical thinking, as described by Joan. It's a state where logic and reason are overshadowed by the emotional need to find a solution, an escape from the pain of reality. This form of thinking, though irrational, is a testament to the depths of human desire to undo the unchangeable, to rewrite the narrative of loss into one of continued connection and presence. Joan's reflection on this pivotal moment illustrates the complexity of grieving, the tangled web of memories, regrets, and wishful thinking that those left behind must navigate. It exposes grief not just as an emotional response to loss, but as a cognitive labyrinth where the boundaries between past, present, and hypothetical futures blur, inviting a renegotiation of life's choices in the vain hope of altering the unbearable outcome. Yet, in recognizing this derangement of thought as an inherent part of her grieving process, Joan aptly captures the universal struggle to come to terms with loss, illustrating the poignant and profoundly human endeavor of seeking solace in the face of irrevocable change. Part 8. Walking Through Grief with Shoes Untouched. Denial and Magical Thinking. In the wake of profound loss, the human mind can weave intricate illusions as a shield against the inescapable pain of reality. Joan Didion, in the months following her husband John's death, found herself in the grips of such illusions, a testament to the complex ways we navigate mourning. Her experience with John's personal belongings, particularly his shoes, provides a poignant glimpse into how grief can distort our thinking, leading us down paths of denial and magical thinking. Initially, heeding the well-intentioned advice of friends, Joan embarked on the often recommended but emotionally excruciating task of clearing out John's possessions. She started with the less emotionally charged articles of clothing, such as his outdoor attire, 
but soon encountered an insurmountable barrier when it came to his shoes. The thought, he will need them when he returns, paralyzed her actions, highlighting the depth of her denial and the fervency of her wishful thinking. Despite recognizing the irrationality of this belief, it was a thought that lodged firmly in her mind, preventing her from parting with the shoes. This instance of magical thinking wasn't isolated to the dilemma of the shoes. It permeated her attempts to grapple with John's absence. Joan's aversion to reading his obituaries stemmed from a similar vein of magical thinking, that acknowledging his death through the act of reading would cement it into reality, whereas avoiding them could somehow keep the finality of his passing at bay. Both scenarios showcase magical thinking not merely as a whimsical escape from reality, but as a profound, if irrational, coping mechanism. It reveals a longing to exert control over the uncontrollable, to believe in the possibility of altering or undoing what has already occurred. This pattern of thought reflects an intense struggle to accept the permanence of loss, a mental tug of war between knowing and wishing, between the reality of absence and the fantasy of return. Yet even as she continued to navigate her grief, there was a subtle yet significant evolution in Joan's journey. The inexorable passage of time, while not erasing her feelings or her magical thinking entirely, blunted their intensity. The shoes remained untouched, a symbol of her ongoing dialogue with grief. Yet their presence and the thoughts they inspired began to lose some of their grip on her daily life. Joan's reflections on this aspect of her mourning process shed light on a rarely discussed facet of grieving, the irrational yet understandable thoughts and actions that can emerge in the face of profound loss. It illustrates that healing is not a linear journey, but more akin to navigating a complex landscape, where moments of magical thinking and denial coexist with steps toward acceptance and closure. Part 9. Finding Closure in Unexpected Places. The Clarity of an Autopsy Report. Joan Didion, amidst the tumultuous waves of her grief, stumbled upon an unlikely source of solace and understanding, one that would help her navigate the murky waters of loss and absolve her of the guilt that had been an uninvited companion in her mourning. The catalyst for this subtle yet profound shift wasn't found in the familiar embrace of literature or the consoling words of psychology, but within the clinical precision of an autopsy report detailing the cause of John's cardiac arrest. The irony in finding closure through such a document was not lost on Joan. A voracious reader and esteemed writer, she had always found refuge and insight within the pages of books. Yet, it was the factual, unembellished narrative of John's autopsy report that offered her unexpected clarity. The delay in receiving this report caused by Joan's own error in addressing seemed to add another layer of serendipity to this moment of revelation. The report made it unequivocally clear that John suffered from severe stenosis in his left anterior descending artery, a condition colloquially known, and for grim reasons, as the widowmaker. This revelation struck Joan with the force of an epiphany. John's health was a ticking time bomb, inherited from his family and profoundly exacerbated by a history of heart problems. A cardiologist had ominously flagged the danger lurking within John's LAD years earlier, 
a forewarning of the tragedy that eventually unfolded. This stark confrontation with the biological realities of John's condition acted as a form of catharsis for Joan. The relentless what-if scenarios and the guilt that had gnawed at her, suggesting she could have somehow averted his death, began to lose their grip. The autopsy report laid bare a truth that was at once devastating and liberating. John's fate was sealed by his genetics and the inexorable progression of his disease, far beyond the reach of Joan's or anyone's intervention. In this cold clinical data, Joan found a measure of peace. It did not mitigate the pain of her loss or the longing for John's presence, but it did offer her a path to forgive herself, to move forward without the burden of misplaced culpability. The reading of the autopsy report became a pivotal moment in Joan's journey through grief, a testament to the unpredictable ways in which we find healing and understanding. It underscores the complex interplay of love, loss, and the search for meaning in the aftermath of a loved one's death, revealing how clarity can emerge from the most unexpected sources, guiding us toward acceptance and, ultimately, a form of closure. Part 10. Navigating the Complex Landscape of Grief Through Literature and Medical Insight In the somber period that followed her husband John's sudden departure from this world, Joan Didion embarked on an intellectual journey, seeking solace and understanding amidst the labyrinth of grief that had enveloped her existence. Her quest for comprehension led her through a myriad spectrum of texts, from the expressive depths of literature and poetry to the pragmatic guides on mourning, though she found little solace in the latter. However, it was in the detailed expositions of psychological and medical scholarship that Joan sought to anchor her tumultuous emotional experiences, delving into the works of foundational figures like Sigmund Freud and Melanie Klein, as well as contemporary scientific articles and medical manuals. These academic explorations offered Joan a form of confirmation, a validation of her internal experiences against the backdrop of established psychological and medical understanding. The grief she endured, characterized by a visceral mix of shock, numbness, and a vehement denial of reality, was not an idiosyncratic anomaly but a universal response to loss, a fact that provided a modicum of comfort amidst her turmoil. The Enlightenment came from an unexpected source, the Merck Manual of Diagnosis and Therapy, which distinguished between normal and pathological grief. This distinction resonated with Joan, as she recognized the lingering nature of her own symptoms, aligning more closely with the concept of pathological grief. The manual's elucidation on the potential causes of this prolonged mourning phase prompted introspection about her own relationship with John and whether an intense dependency could have exacerbated her suffering. Furthermore, the notion that pathological grief could stem from disruptions in the mourning process due to external circumstances struck a deeply personal chord. Joan's experience was emblematic of such disruption. With her daughter Quintana's grave illness and the consequent delay in John's funeral rites interrupting the natural progression of her grief, in an agonizing twist of fate, the spectre of loss loomed over Joan once more as Quintana was hospitalized with severe brain injuries the day following John's funeral. The potential of facing a second monumental loss in such quick succession brought an acute sharpness to the already unbearable pain of mourning. 
Through her foray into psychological and medical literature, Joan sought not only to understand the intricacies of her grief, but also to find a framework that could encompass the dizzying emotional landscape she was navigating. This intellectual pursuit, while not providing a panacea for her sorrow, offered a lens through which to view her suffering, framing it within the broader human experience of loss and love. It was a journey marked by the search for clarity amidst chaos, an attempt to grapple with the ungraspable realities of mortality and attachment, articulated through the shared language of scientific inquiry and personal reflection. Part 11. Confronting the Boundaries of Control in the Face of Life's Fragility Joan Didion's life, intertwined with the vicissitudes of fate, underwent another harrowing chapter as her daughter, Quintana, suffered a grave injury. The fall at Los Angeles International Airport. A moment poised at the cusp of a fresh beginning. Instead, spiraled into a crisis that halted the tentative steps towards healing and normalcy following John's death. Rushing to California, Joan was propelled by a singular mission, to ensure her daughter's safety and recovery. Her words to Quintana upon reaching her bedside at the UCLA Medical Center, you're safe, I'm here, were a testament to a mother's unwavering commitment to protect her child against all odds. This resolve was not new. During Quintana's previous medical ordeal with a pulmonary embolism, Joan had stood vigil, actively engaging with the medical team in an effort to assert some measure of control over the uncertain outcome. Joan's approach reflected a common belief among those who have navigated life's challenges with determination and savvy, that with enough persistence, insight, and influence, almost any situation could be managed. This belief was anchored in a history of successfully steering through the complexities of life and career, bolstered by a confidence in one's ability to discern and direct outcomes. However, Quintana's severe brain injury introduced Joan to an entirely different dimension of complexity and uncertainty. Suddenly, the challenge at hand was not just complex, it was esoteric, requiring specialized knowledge and skills beyond the layperson's comprehension. Faced with the daunting lexicon of neurobiology, Joan attempted to bridge her understanding through medical texts, only to find the language as impenetrable as the situation itself. This critical juncture forced Joan to confront a profound and unsettling realization. There are limits to what determination, knowledge, and influence can achieve. Some situations, some crises, defy the will to control. Presenting challenges that cannot be managed through sheer force of will or intellectual engagement. It was a humbling confrontation with the inherent uncertainty of life. A recognition that despite our best efforts, some outcomes remain firmly beyond our reach. Through this painful episode, Joan Didion grappled with the essence of human vulnerability. The understanding that no matter how fiercely we strive to protect our loved ones or shape our destinies, we are all ultimately at the mercy of forces that transcend our control. This realization, while undeniably harsh, also carries with it a form of liberation. In acknowledging the boundaries of our agency, we also learn to navigate life with a deeper appreciation for the moments we can influence and a greater resilience in the face of those we cannot. Part 12. The Continuum of Grief and Acceptance 
In the wake of profound loss, searching for a narrative with a neatly tied bow, a story that concludes with newfound love or transformative self-discovery, might be an exercise in futility. This isn't a cinematic journey where grief serves merely as a poignant prelude to a second act filled with brighter days and new beginnings. Joan Didion's reflection on the aftermath of her husband John's sudden passing reveals the multi-layered complexity of love, loss, and the relentless march of time. For Joan, John's death wasn't just the loss of a partner. It was the erosion of an entire universe built for two. The rich tapestry of shared experiences, routines, and conversations that shaped their life together didn't vanish overnight but began a slow decay, much like the natural world's ceaseless cycle of creation and destruction her geologist grandfather taught her about. The memories and habits that once defined her daily existence now serve as painful reminders of her solitude, fading into the backdrop of a life irrevocably altered. As Joan grapples with the duality of remembering and letting go, she confronts the inevitable truth that to continue living means to accept the gradual disintegration of the tangible connections to John. The act of moving forward is inseparably tied to the acceptance of additional losses, the nuances of John's presence that slip further away with each passing day. This realization isn't comforting. It underscores the bitter taste of acceptance, likening it to yet another form of goodbye. Yet, in the grand scheme, life persists in its forward momentum. The world doesn't halt for our personal tragedies. It evolves, indifferent to the voids left in its wake. Joan recognizes this unyielding truth, acknowledging that her life's continuation is not marked by a triumphant emergence from grief, but a reluctant surrender to the passage of time and the inevitability of change. Perhaps the closest semblance of consolation lies in the understanding that John, were he present, would advocate for Joan's progression through life. In this acknowledgement, there's a subtle release, an unspoken permission to gradually disengage from the tight grasp of mourning and edge towards the unknown future. This isn't a tale of conquering grief, but learning to coexist with its shadow, a testament to the resilience required to forge ahead amidst the remnants of a shared past now consigned to memory. If there's a message to be drawn from Joan's introspective journey, it's that life's continuation doesn't promise the cessation of pain, but offers a testament to the human capacity to endure, adapt, and in time, gently embrace the cycle of letting go and moving on. Final Summary In the span of a year, between 2003 and 2004, Joan Didion found herself navigating a succession of profound personal crises that would test the very fabric of her being. The sudden death of her husband and the ensuing critical health issues of her daughter plunged her into the depths of sorrow and uncertainty. This tumultuous period became a crucible for reflection, self-discovery, and an acute confrontation with the impermanent nature of existence. Joan's journey through grief illuminated not just the profound pain that accompanies loss, but also the stark realization of one's limitations in the face of life's unpredictability. Her struggle to maintain control over circumstances beyond her reach underscored a universal truth about human vulnerability and the illusion of permanence. Through her eyes, 
we witness the harsh reality that, despite our best efforts, life can veer into unforeseen territories, shattering our sense of stability and redefining our understanding of the world. Yet, within the enveloping shadows of grief, Joan grappled with essential truths about the human condition. She learned that mourning is not a linear process to be neatly resolved, but an ongoing journey that intertwines with the fabric of our daily lives. It's marked by the gradual acceptance of loss, the continuous effort to find footing in a changed landscape, and the relentless quest for meaning amidst despair. Moreover, Joan's reflections reveal the inherent resilience of the human spirit, the ability to withstand the torrents of change and devastation. This resilience doesn't manifest through a victorious transcendence of grief, but in the quiet, enduring strength to keep moving forward, to live alongside loss without being consumed by it. In the chronicles of her most challenging year, Joan Didion offers not just a personal narrative of sorrow, but a profound meditation on the complexities of love, loss, and the indomitable will to endure. Her story is a testament to the time's passage, a constant force that eventually leads us out of the darkness as we carry our memories and experiences into the light of new days. Thank you for joining me today on this journey of learning and discovery as we explored the insights of another thought-provoking book in our growing library of knowledge. If you've enjoyed our time together, please take a moment to follow our podcast, give us a five-star rating, and share 20-minute books with other knowledge seekers. Your support truly means a lot. Don't forget to join me again in the next episode, where we will delve into another enriching book. Until then, happy reading and happy listening.